So a couple of years back, I think I shared with you that I was uh, New Year's resolution for that time was uh, doing a workout regimen. I think it was P90X, but uh, my resolution this year is to keep my driveway clear. So I, I think that should take care of the workout regimen. I think that's all I need. <laughs> uh, some of you probably saw on Facebook the, uh, the memes going around of uh, whoever said, do it right the first time and you don't have to do it again. They've never experienced a Canadian winter. <laughs> Just shovel your driveway once. It doesn't matter how well you do it. You do it again. Yeah, I made the mistake of shoveling my driveway Tuesday afternoon. I've done it twice since then, so... Getting my workout. Now this morning we are going to be uh, we're going to be talking about temptation, and uh, we're going to be talking about being delivered from temptations. Is this anything that anyone is aware of? Temptation. Does anyone know anything about this? No, I'm the only one who's ever dealt with temptation in my life. Oh, there's a hand in the back. There's three guys in here who have dealt with temptation before. All right, so I'm preaching to you guys this morning. Everyone else, you can listen in. But actually, I can't have these while I'm preaching. I need someone to hold these for me. Eric, would you hold these for me? Just, just hold them. Okay? I, want, I want them all back later. Okay? Because they're still mine. I just need you to keep them for me. You got it? We're good? Good. Okay. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Let's uh, begin this morning with a word of prayer. Father, again, thank you for your presence, thank you for your spirit, thank you for your word. I pray that you would bring it together in such a way this morning, Lord, that we would be touched, that we would understand, and that it would change uh, how we leave this morning. I pray that you would speak through me, your servant. May the words be yours. Give me your spirit and your power to speak them as I should. In Jesus' name, amen. Now today we are coming to the closing petition of the Lord's Prayer. We have gone through the first parts of the prayer. We have gone all the way back to first learning how not to pray, how to pray. We've gone through the major parts of uh, hallowing God's name, of his kingdom come, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, giving us this day our daily bread, forgiving us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And now we come to the closing two petitions in the prayer and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now here we see two similar yet distinct threats that all Christians face. The first is the temptation to sin from within. And the second is the attack of the enemy from without. So there is the temptations that rise up from within, and there are attacks that come from the outside. So let's look first at the temptations that rise up from within. The phrasing of this petition, and lead us not into temptation, it's always struck me as a little bit odd. Just the phrase, and lead us not into temptation. The reason it's always struck me as a little bit odd is because it almost gives the impression that God might just lead us into temptation if we forget to ask him not to. Has anyone ever thought that, or is that just me? It just sort of struck me funny at times when I've thought about it. This isn't the case, however. James chapter 1 explains for us how temptation works in very clear detail. We look there in James chapter 1 and verses 13 to 15, which tells us, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. 
But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now there's a story told of a young lad whose eyes were fixed upon a large basket of shiny apples just outside a storefront. Now the shopkeeper happened to notice this young boy eyeing up the apples. He looked shifty and suspicious, suspecting that this boy was up to something, and so he calls out to the boy, What are you doing, son? Thinking of stealing one of those apples? Trying to make a run for it? No, sir, the boy replied. I'm trying not to. (laughs) Has anyone here ever used this approach to temptation before? Where you sit in front of the temptation and exert all of your willpower and all of your force of energy to not do it, but you stay right there. Has anyone ever done that before? A few more hands are going up, okay? There's a few more people in here who have dealt with temptation, it seems. Okay, now we're getting to the heart of the matter. How are you doing with those nerds, by the way? They're still good? Okay. They are really good, by the way. Blue raspberry, delicious, amazing. (laughs) You see, when it comes to temptation, it is our flesh's inner desire that entices us. We see something we want, um, we hear something we like, and, and it entices us, it drags us in its direction. And that's where at the moment of truth, where we try to resist, but staying there in front of the temptation... We only resist as long as our own strength can endure. And so finally, most of the time when we take this approach, we finally shout out, I just can't take it anymore. And then we give up, we give in, and we deal with the consequences later. And so in order to resist and overcome the temptation, we must fight an inner battle against our own desires. Now, don't get me wrong on this. I I know Eric has a lot of willpower, but he really wants those nerds right now. I can just see it. He, He wants them. He's fighting an inner battle against his own desires. But you know what? The only way that he or we can hope to win the battle with our own desires is to have an even greater desire. We have to have a desire that's greater than our own desires. And that desire needs to be to obey God. What is greater, our desire for our own appetite or our desire to obey God? You know, you've all heard a a phrase something like this said of someone who's struggling with addiction, someone, you know, dealing with drugs. We'll say things like, he has to want to change. No one can force him. Have you ever heard, heard or said that before? Most of us have. What we're really saying is he has to have the own, uh, his own personal desire to change. No matter how badly you desire it for that person, you cannot change them. They have to desire it for themselves. And in the same way with any temptation, you have to desire God and obeying him more than you desire indulging in sin. And once we have the desires in the proper order, that's where victory can begin. So with our desire to obey set, then we can truly pray this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And when we pray this prayer, we can then expect and look for God's deliverance. Here is where 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 is extremely helpful. It's a verse that I hope you've memorized, and if you haven't memorized it previously, I, I encourage you, go home and memorize it today. It is such a helpful verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13, it says, 
No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide the way of escape so that you can endure it. So now suppose, going back to that story of the boy staring at the apples, suppose that that boy, tempted to steal the apple, were to honestly pray right then and there. Oh Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from this evil. How do you suppose the Lord would answer that boy's prayer? Would he maybe make the source of the temptation, those apples, would he just make them disappear in a poof, into thin air, just gone, remove the temptation? Is that how he would do it? Or maybe uh, he would maybe change the boy's appetite right then and there so the boy doesn't like apples anymore. That's how he'd remove the temptation. Would he do that? Just remove the desire for apples? Or maybe something even more drastic. He would send an, inter- an intervention of sorts. He would send in an angel and swoop in and pick that boy up and carry him back home to remove him from the temptation. Is that how God would answer that boy's prayer? He's capable of it, but most likely he would not answer the boy's prayer in any of those ways. In fact, I suspect that the most likely way that God would answer that boy's prayer, and the most likely path of escape from that temptation would be to remind the boy that he could just stand up and use his own two legs to walk away. You see, so often in my life, I have faced a temptation, and I've prayed and asked God, Oh Lord, help me overcome this temptation. Strengthen me to defeat this. And then eventually I end up giving in anyways. And I wonder to myself afterwards, why didn't God deliver me in some spectacular fashion? I prayed after all. And I've learned that usually when I've looked for a miraculous intervention, most of the time the means of escape that God's provided is surprisingly, shockingly simple and mundane. Often escape from temptation is as easy as just get up and walk away. You know, there are very few temptations in life that couldn't be defeated this way. Just get up and walk away. Or maybe the close cousin to it is just bite your tongue and say nothing. (laughs) No matter how badly you want to say it, no matter how quickly it's coming to the tip of your tongue, just bite it. Say nothing. So many temptations can be diffused in this manner. Author by the name of Portia Nelson has written a short story that's become quite famous The story is entitled Autobiography in Five Short Chapters, and it reads, Chapter 1, I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out as quickly as possible. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. 
Chapter 5. I walk down a different street. So let me ask you, what street do you need to stop walking down? Often defeating temptation is really that simple. Now, of course, there will always be some temptations that we can't avoid, some that persist, that we can't remove ourselves from entirely. But no matter how persistent the temptation, there is always, always, always a way of escape provided. There is a way to overcome its power, and most often it involves a series of deliberate choices to distance ourselves from the temptation. In the final analysis, though, it all comes down to desire. If we don't desire to win, we will always find a way to lose. Yes, we'll put in token effort to make ourselves feel better, to say, look, God, I tried, but I just wasn't strong enough. But if we truly desire to overcome, the means of escape will be provided. The strength will be there. God promises that. So let me ask you, what do you desire more? Do you desire to please yourself more or your Father in heaven? It comes down to desire. This is how we deal with the temptations from within. Now, how about the attacks from without? The second part of the petition, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 10. We have no time to dive into this vision, but we're going to look at a a few things in this chapter that are extremely informative for us this morning. As you turn there, let me ask you, have you ever stopped to consider what effect your prayers might have on the spiritual realm, the unseen realm all around us, the realm in which the angels preside, the Spirit of God moves and works, the places, the things we can't see But by faith and through the scriptures, we know it's there. Have you ever considered what effect your prayers have on this realm? I think most of us give little, if any, thought to how exactly our prayers and our our, our petitions for protection from sin and evil actually work. We perhaps have some vague notion of asking for physical protection, like the prayer that we pray so often of, Lord, keep us safe as we travel on the icy roads, as is very applicable this time. But, you know, we pray that prayer so quickly, so glibly most of the time, we don't even really know what we're asking for, I don't think. And the prayer goes deeper than just praying for protection as we travel. When we pray, deliver us from evil, we are acknowledging a series of things. The first thing we are acknowledging is the existence of evil in this world. The second thing we are acknowledging is that we need deliverance from the evil in this world. And this evil, far from being benign or simply seeing, uh, being something that if we just leave it alone, it will leave us alone. No, evil doesn't operate like that. Evil of this world is active and it seeks to attack and destroy us. Now you could say, hey, I'm just minding my own business. Evil should leave me alone, but it doesn't work that way. Evil is active. And the reason it is active, because evil is not just a force out there in the universe, like from Star Wars or something like that. It's not just the dark side of the force. No, evil is personified. And evil is personified in the one that we know as Satan. In fact, perhaps a more accurate translation of this passage of Scripture is not just deliver us from evil, but deliver us from the evil one. Of course, you know that Satan is the chief of the fallen angels, known as demons, who 
followed him in his rebellion against God, their creator, and were cast out of heaven. And so now they've come to earth to wreak havoc and oppose God's will and his people at every turn. So make no mistake about it. Though these demons, these principalities operate in the spiritual realm that we cannot see, they are very real. And they are operating on earth to oppose, derail, and destroy God's plan and God's people. And so when we pray these four short words, deliver us from evil, we are actually asking God to mobilize angelic warriors in the spiritual battleground to come and defend us from the evil one. And we see a powerful example of this in Daniel chapter 10. Now, if you follow along in the narrative, we're not going to reread it all this morning. The chapter begins with Daniel's deeply being deeply troubled by a vision that he had just been shown in the previous chapter of a great war yet to come. And he is so distraught by this vision and so badly desires an interpretation of it from the Lord that it says he mourns and he fasts for three weeks. Three weeks he mourns and fasts, wrestling in prayer. Then at the end of the three weeks, he walks down to the banks of the Tigris River. And there in verses 5 to 7, it tells us that Daniel saw a vision of a glorious man whose description is strikingly similar to the one given of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1. Scholars agree that this was indeed a vision of the pre-incarnate Christ. And so not surprisingly... In verses 8 to 9, Daniel tells us that he was so overpowered, so overcome by this vision and the majesty of it, that he loses all of his strength and he falls to the ground as this man begins to speak to him and he falls into a deep sleep or a stupor. He doesn't know how long he's passed out on the ground like this, but in verses 10 to 11, Daniel tells us that an unknown hand reaches out and touches him. It helps him to his feet and instructs him to listen carefully to what he is going to be told. Now, the unknown helper who reaches out and touches him is not identified immediately, but we can make an educated guess as to who this was from earlier passages in Daniel chapter 8, verse 16 and 9, verse 21, where there we read that it was the angel Gabriel who was sent to Daniel to give him the interpretation of the great visions that he was seeing. Now, we don't have time to study the vision itself, but instead I want to focus us in on what Gabriel says to Daniel in verses 12 and 13. Listen to what he says here. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. I want you to then skip ahead to verse 20, and Gabriel adds this as a closing remark. Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. And in brackets he adds, no one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. Now, what exactly is happening here? What is, what is he talking about? Well, Gabriel explains that Daniel's prayers were heard by God on the very first day that he began to pray. 
He fasted and prayed for three weeks. But Gabriel says the very first day he began to pray, his prayers were heard and that he, Gabriel, was sent to him immediately. However, his arrival was delayed for 21 days, three weeks. So how was an angel of God possibly delayed? Were his wings broken? You know, was something wrong? How could an angel not get there for three weeks? You know, did he take a wrong turn? No, none of these things. He gives the explanation. And this is where it gets really interesting. Someone identified by the name of the Prince of Persia resisted Gabriel for 21 days. And it was only once Michael... Another archangel came to assist him in the fight against this prince of Persia that Gabriel was finally able to break through and to reach Daniel. So it begs the question, who was this powerful adversary, this prince of Persia, who was able to hold ground against an archangel of God? Biblical scholar G. Coleman Luck writes this, This could not have been a mere human being. No earthly prince could withstand a mighty angel. The expression, therefore, must refer to an evil angel, directed by Satan to tempt and influence the kings of Persia. The various titles used in these verses obviously refer to the hierarchy of evil spirits. So as incredible as this sounds, we are here being given a small glimpse into the spiritual realm, the place where our prayers are heard and where angels and demons do battle. And what is hanging in the balance is nothing less than the kingdoms of the world and the destiny of men's souls. The clear implication here is that the most powerful demons of Satan's host are placed over individual nations and kingdoms to scheme and to put into action their plans to influence people away from God towards evil and their eventual destruction. Isn't this interesting to consider? The hierarchy of of angelic hosts who are opposed against God and his kingdom. Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 to 12, Paul names them that way. He writes this to the church, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our fight, listen to this, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So here, we're we're being given a glimpse into how this spiritual realm operates and the battles that take place there. So let me ask you, would it be a shock to you? Would it surprise you to be told that there is almost certainly a fallen angel appointed to the nation of Canada? Another one appointed to the United States? You know, unless you've been living under a rock, you have to have become increasingly aware of the ever-increasing speed that our nation and our civilization collectively has been turning away from God, turning away from his truth and towards the darkness and the evil. And we, we have only to look around to see the signs and the symptoms of willful rejection of God all around us. You know, just last month, just last month, a Wisconsin state representative has been told by the Freedom From, listen to this, the Freedom From Religion Foundation to move his prayer meetings out of the state capitol building because it infringes on 
people's religious freedoms, of all things. What kind of upside-down world are we living in where you can't practice your religion because it's impinging on others' religious freedoms? What? But that's the world we live in. The congressman's name is uh, Paul Tittle. And Paul Tittle has been holding weekly Bible studies and prayer meetings in his state capitol office for three years. The attendance by other staff is entirely voluntary. But the Freedom From Religion Foundation co-founder Annie Laurie wants him to stop the Bible sessions and even taunted him in public for praying. And listen to what she said. Our message to pious politicians is, get off your knees and get to work. The answers will not come from above. Nothing fails like prayer. What was Paul Tittle's response to this? He simply said, Faith is a huge part of my life. It doesn't stop simply because I come to the office. You see, ours is a time where we are told that prayer and faith have no business in public life. Keep it to yourself, don't share it in public. We live in a time and a place where sexual perversion is celebrated and championed as self-discovery. Where those who disagree are shouted, shoved, and shamed into not only silence, but forced into agreement. We live in a time where our smartest minds, our intellectuals, teach us that the infinitely complex universe came about by a series of random chance and time. And we live in a time and a place where every year unborn babies are killed in their hundreds of thousands and even millions. What do we make of all of this? What do we make of this time in which we live? Yes, man is naturally sinful. But all of this evil did not just come about from man's own thoughts or hearts. No, there are evil powers of this dark world who are waging a war against our nation, against our church, against our families, and yes, against our very souls. And whether you are aware of it or not, every last one of you, myself included, every last one of us have been attacked at some point in some way by these forces. This church has been attacked on multiple occasions by these forces. And some of you still carry the scars to prove it. And if the prophets are to be trusted, the enemy is not done yet. As I said before, it's not benign. It doesn't just sit there and leave us alone because we're leaving it alone. No, it has an agenda. It pushes forward. And if the prophets are to be believed, the enemy is not finished. There is more to come. And so how do we as Christians respond to this evil that's so pervasive in our world, that's so aggressive, that's so in our face? How do we respond? Does it scare us? It scares me, I'll be honest. It scares me, not for myself, it scares me for my children. It scares me to know what kind of a world they're going to be growing up in and the things that they very likely will face by the time they're my age. It scares me. But I come back to what the angel said to Daniel. Daniel face down on the ground because he had seen the glory of God himself, the pre-incarnate Christ. And in that place, he has the right fear. Not the fear of man, but the fear of God. And in that place, the angel reaches out, touches him, and says what to him? The very first words out of the angel's mouth are always the same when they interact with men. What is it? Fear not. Always the same when an angel comes, when God's message comes to the messenger. Don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid of man. Don't be afraid of Satan. Don't be afraid of what the enemy can do. Fear God. Fear him in the right way. Revere his holiness and his power. Fear him because he's in charge. And when we have our fear in the right place, the fear of man goes away. The fear of Satan himself is pushed into the sidelines because we fear God. And so, how do we respond? Do we just curl up in the fetal position and hope it gets better? Do we bury our head in the sand? No. We look to God and we do two things. We remind ourselves of who it is that we're serving. Though we have a powerful enemy, yes, we have a Father who is greater. We have a Lord who is powerful and mighty in strength. John chapter 16, verse 33, the Lord Jesus says to his disciples, just after telling them all of the terrible things that were about to happen, he concludes by saying this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Don't be surprised that we're facing evil. Don't be surprised that our nation is in trouble. This is to be expected. Take heart, because we have a Lord who has overcome the world, and in him our peace is secure. Don't let the enemy rob your peace because of what we see happening around us. Look to him. Remind ourselves of who we serve. The second thing we do when we look to Daniel's example, we pray with persistence and with passion. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, concluding this passage on spiritual warfare and putting on the armor of God, Paul wraps it up by saying this to the church, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always, I want to underline that word, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This is a direct command from the Lord. Persevere in prayer. Always keep on praying. You see, Daniel was deeply troubled by the vision of this terrible war that he saw coming. And he responded, how? Curling up and and crying for three weeks? No, well, there was some crying, mourning, but he fasted and he sought the Lord. And he waited until he received a response. And interesting is the fact that his prayer was heard the very first time he prayed it. I love that part. He, he was heard the very first time, but still he persevered. He persisted in prayer for three weeks. And we know that Daniel's prayer was heard because Gabriel was sent. And who knows how Daniel's persisting in prayer aided in Gabriel's victory over the prince of Persia. Perhaps it was Daniel's passionate persistence in prayer that summoned Michael to his aid to win the battle. Whatever the case, Daniel's prayer was heard And it was answered. Do you ever feel like your prayers are put on hold? Do you ever doubt that you're heard the first time? There's a story told of a mother and daughter who were heading home after church one Sunday morning. And the mother commented, That was such a beautiful service. I especially liked the soft piano music that was playing during the closing prayer. And the little daughter turned and with a surprised look in her eyes and in her voice she asked, Oh, that was just piano? When her mother nodded yes, the little girl then said, Oh, I thought God had put us on hold. (laughs) And the cute little story teaches us something we need to understand and I think we need to take home with us. God never puts us on hold. 
Daniel might have felt like he was on hold for three weeks, but he wasn't. There was a spiritual battle being waged for that three weeks, and he persisted in prayer. And sometimes, though it seems like he hasn't heard us or that he's taking his time, we must learn to wait patiently on him and persevere. Psalm chapter 40 and verse 1, David writes this, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry. Now I'll confess, waiting patiently on the Lord is not easy. It's never been for me. I'm one of those hurry-up-and-wait guys. You know, I'm like my three-year-old son asking me for a juice box. I'm not going to take no for an answer. Can I, can I, can I? I want it now, now, now. And that's how I pray. I want it now. But God's teaching me. I have to persevere in prayer and trust his timing. So let me ask you, what or who are you praying for right now that just doesn't seem to be getting an answer? Is there someone you've been praying for for a long time Is there a situation that you've been praying about it feels like for years? Let me tell you, persist and persevere. You might just be one prayer away from seeing a loved one turn to Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? You might just be one prayer away from seeing someone's soul saved for eternity. Are we going to stop short? Are we going to say, well, I've been praying for five years for this person's salvation and they haven't been saved yet, so, huh, I guess it didn't work. No, persist, persevere. We might just be one prayer away because we have no idea the spiritual battle that is happening in the heavenly realm over this person's soul. We have no idea the angelic forces that have been arrayed in this battle and your prayers are playing a part. Do not quit. Do not give up persist in prayer you know you might be praying for someone's marriage right now and it feels like there's just no hope for it divorce is the only way forward it just looks utterly hopeless but your prayers might in fact be key in seeing one day that marriage healed and restored you might just be a prayer away from seeing a terminal illness reversed Who knows, we might be this close to seeing a revival sparked in our town and the salvation of many going forward in power. Persist in prayer. Because I believe that if we knew just how much our prayers really mattered and influenced the spiritual battleground that we cannot see but is happening all around us, oh, I believe that we would be praying with a whole lot more persistence and passion just like Daniel. And so I pray that this series has not just been an academic exercise. I pray and I hope and my desire is that it has changed our behavior in regards to prayer. I hope that we will start praying more often with more persistence and with more passion and that we won't quit until we see the answers beginning to take place in front of our very eyes, not for our glory, but for God's for his will to be accomplished on this earth and in this town, just as it is in heaven, for his glory and the salvation of many. I pray that it is so. May we be a praying people. And this Christmas season, as we look back to Christmas and we pray and we say, Lord Jesus, even as you came in the past, come again and come quickly. We are looking for you. Would you bow with me?
Father in heaven, your word has given us just the smallest of glimpses into the spiritual battleground all around us. And that so often we face temptation and it feels so isolated and we hear the whisper of the enemy saying, it's just a one-time thing. This won't affect anything. Just give in and carry on. And yet, this is a part of the massive battleground happening. And that every decision for good or for evil has a ripple effect. And Lord, you want us to be on the winning side. In fact, you have made the way of escape from every temptation possible. But we have to desire it. We have to look for it. And so I pray that you would work in our hearts to set a desire to obey you as greater than anything else, even our own appetites. Oh, Lord, work in our hearts. Only you can change the desires of them. May it be for you above all else. And, Lord, having done that, as we consider our nation, as we consider the way that the enemy is influencing so many things towards the darkness and towards evil, Father, I pray that you would infuse us not with fear, but with courage and boldness, that you would give us a spirit of peace, knowing that though in this world we have trouble, we can take heart, because you have overcome the world. Your death on the cross, you declared it is finished, and you rose from the grave. And we anticipate that resurrection being oh so near. And so, Lord, whether we died to see your face, or you come while we are yet still living, we know we will see you very soon. And so, Lord, we pray that before that day comes, that our loved ones... Our family members who don't yet know you will be found in you before that day. We pray to that end, Lord Jesus. Bring salvation. Bring revival. May it sweep through this town. And may you use us in our prayers and our obedience to you to this end. For your glory, we pray it. And now I'd invite all people, all of God's people, to pray with me the prayer you taught us, your disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.